Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Space Junk, a podcast dedicated to getting you outside in your backyard and looking up. We are mostly dedicated to amateur astronomy, but we talk about all things night sky on this podcast. And uh, my name is Tony Darnell. I'm from DeepAstronomy.Space. And today our, we're, our topic is going to be women in STEM. And our guest today is someone, you, if you are on Twitch and if you love science, then you know about our guest. Her, uh, she's called Skylius on Twitch. She also has a YouTube channel, but I think uh, that's where she does most of her uh, streaming. And she's going to join us today and talk about her experiences as uh, not just a science communicator, but also as uh, a, a person who's gone through the STEM uh, education as well as uh, the career path. So we're going to be chatting with her about her experiences. And this is an important podcast because we live in an era when women are increasingly prominent in Play in fields like medicine, law, and business. But why are there so few women scientists and engineers? And there are, we're going to talk about that today and maybe help shed some light on how things can be changed and, and what, you know, what's going on with, with women in STEM. So let me introduce my co-hosts uh, from OPT Telescopes in, in California. Uh, I've got two people here today from them, Dustin Gibson, a co-owner of OPT, as well as Ian Lauer, uh, the advertising and outreach person uh, at the company. Welcome, guys. Hey, Tony. Tony, thank you. This is, um, I completely agree with you. You know, all of these podcasts are a lot of fun, but I uh, I think this one really is important. This is definitely something that should be talked about more. And that's part of why I wanted to bring Ian on here is Ian is our director of marketing. And so by default, the person that ends up talking to more people than anybody else in the company. So he's kind of thrust into this and sees this problem firsthand regularly. So Ian, welcome. I'm really happy to be here. How's everyone doing today? Yeah, and you may remember Ian from also he also helps me do uh, the Hangouts, the Telescope Talk Hangouts, uh, the amateur version uh, periodically as well. So welcome, Ian and Dustin. Well, let me introduce our guest, Skylias. Are you out there? I am. There she is. Welcome to our podcast. Um, so today we're going to be talking about, as I said, women in STEM. And I wonder if we could start by maybe just describing your background. Where, how did you get your start uh, in uh, the STEM fields? Well, I actually started pretty late uh, in my adult life uh, <laughs> that when I got into computer science, um, it was due to a company layoff and I had tried applying so many times to different jobs and I noticed that the one thing that I knew would come back to haunt me, the lack of having a degree from when I decided to take a break that lasted quite a long time, uh, would come back and, and I'd have to face it again at some point. So, uh, you know, I was, it was pretty normal. Uh, I had just had a baby and <laughs> got a, the, the company layoff happened around the time she was eight months old. And so, you know, like a normal adult would do is I figured out that I wanted to go back to school and decided to choose a really easy major, which was computer science, because I've always liked computer science. So, <laughs> um, and of course I'm being quite facetious about that, but yeah, I, I decided to get into computer science at that point, just because I've always been interested in computers ever since I was younger. And I always thought they were very, very cool. I remember the, the time that the the internet came into our home and working with that and, and being kind of glued to that. So I just decided to go into computer science, not knowing too much about it. Uh, that's what I did. So it was it was a very interesting journey. And now it's something completely different, but uh, that is 
that's where we got the start. Yeah, I know you ended up somewhere quite different than uh, than than where you started. It sounds like. Well, when you say computer science, okay, that's like kind of saying science. It, it's a broad field. Can you what it what uh, what specifically did you study? Uh, so you know, it was a, just a the university had a computer science department, uh, not related to the mathematics department, which can be a common thing with most universities. But it, it was just the generic degree for bachelor's of science in computer science. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so it was actually quite, there was no special uh, section of it that I went into. I remember reading the, the material and seeing a bunch of, of math courses. And I would say that's where my first, did I make a mistake in pursuing this? Um, that, that anxiety rose just from seeing that, um, which also piqued my curiosity, though. Um, but yeah. So let me ask you then, because, I mean, this is, this is kind of what we see in astronomy, but did you see the same thing going into computer science where, um, I guess going into that program, my assumption would be there'd probably be very few women there with you. And I'd imagine that, you know, as you go deeper into the programs, you probably see even less. Is that, is that kind of what you saw or was it not that way in computer science? Oh, it was absolutely that way. Um, there was very few, uh, I couldn't give you the exact numbers, but it was a handful of females right when starting those early courses, the CS 101, there were, there were definitely more women. However, as I worked my way through it, uh, getting into the second year, that number dropped significantly. I'd say after the first two main courses, um, the staple courses for computer science, that's where, that's where the drop-off started to happen. And it just continued to happen as each semester occurred, I remember pausing for a good amount of time and wondering what's going on here because it became more challenging for myself, uh, not having other females around. And, you know, if I had questions and courses, it was more difficult for me to ask being the only female. One example of that would be in my later Calc courses. I think it was uh, my Calc 2 class. There was someone that had uh, incorrect math. The, the teacher openly asked if anybody knew the correct answer. And I did, but I was the only female. So it made it very awkward because I didn't want to, you know, position myself as being that person regardless of gender. But then there was that aspect of gender that couldn't be ignored, that I was the only one in there. And so I did rise up to that challenge and, and said, you know, I think I have the answer. And and I, you know, I always wondered after that um, if, you know, if that had any kind of impact. I never really was able to tell, uh, which I think might be a good thing. But overall, it, it it was very uncomfortable situations like that. I feel like that would have been very different if I had just a few, even you know, um, other females in the course at that point. But it's it was very, very, very tough. That that made going through it. And that that was another thing I came to the conclusion is if there's not many women in this, the chances of the ones that are actually interested in it, like you have to actually fight more. And, you know, we see we see the same kind of thing in uh, in the hobbyist with with astronomy. But I'm really curious. I mean, in your experience, especially in that program, why is that? Why does that happen? You know, why do a certain number get started? And then as it go, as you go through it, what happens that makes people just say, oh, I just don't, I either can't do this or I don't want to do this. What happens that filters women out from something that, you know, clearly they can do and do well? What, what I mean, what's the problem? What's happening? So I came to, I, I did extensive research on this and actually wrote a, a paper on it uh, for one of my classes. And I, I was really curious about what kind of jobs do we see women usually taking? Uh, let's start there. You know, we see a lot of teachers. Uh, we see a lot of women in, in healthcare. Um, and I'm being very general about this statement. I just want to be very clear on that just because, you know, these are very generalized. Um, when you look at employment information and where women tend to go, that's where we've kind of seen them. Those are helping. Those are caretaking type roles. And I think in our, in, in at least in the U.S., and that's where I really narrowed down my uh, research to understand our culture. I did take it a little bit out to other areas to see how they were dealing with women in STEM fields and specifically computer science. 
and there was, there was things that were different. So when I started looking at the U.S., I thought, okay, well, what was I nervous about? And things I was nervous about were the math requirements. How much math I was going to have to take was absolutely insane, you know, all the way down to linear algebra and differential equations. So that's substantial. (laughs) And I think in our culture, and I know also men can feel this way too with math. I think a lot of people think math is a bad word. And I usually say it's, you know, due to not having great teachers that, that are willing to slow down and work with you. It's not your inability, regardless of gender, to do it. It's a very, you know, uh, it's a very tense subject matter. I think math is is one of the things, if you just look at the curriculum of computer science, that that already is a beast. So you have to be comfortable with that. And it, that goes for both genders. But then you start looking at the the comfortableness with programming. And that's where you start seeing this is a difference. There were definitely the men in my class, even in the entry uh, or the introduction uh, courses, they were very knowledgeable right out the gate and very comfortable with computers. While I was more comfortable than I would say most of the women that I know in my personal life, I was not to their level. These guys were definitely taking apart Commodore 64 computers. You know, these, these were definitely a different type. So they've already been doing this. And for me, I was coming in saying, I like computers. I want to learn more, but I don't have that knowledge up front. And I think that that can really be intimidated, uh, intimidating right out, right out the gates. And I think those two things, you've got a math, you know, which is a very, very tricky subject, especially if you already have a, this, this overall bias with it. You know, you've already have your experience with it. It might not be something you've liked ever. And you have now a group of people that already kind of know what they're doing and you're walking into this not knowing too much. That's my experience. But I also, from the research I did, this was really common. Uh, Usually women were using, when computers were brought into the home, they weren't using it to understand how they work in general. And this is very general speaking. Some were, absolutely. But they're using it for like word processing, things like that. So it kind of became, in our culture, is known as like a masculine machine. And it got very masculinized. And and I, I could see kind of like they kind of started developing a, a gender stereotype with it, uh, specifically computer science. And they had this uh, huge hiring boom. And they were trying to narrow down people that would, you know, be great for to be a computer programmer. And I would say it was pretty unintentional that they got this 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 profile of a programmer being an isolated man that... <laughs> You know, basically is this introvert male person, and that is what we look for in programmers. And so it, I don't think it was a direct, no one was trying to, in, in, from the research that I saw, trying to push women out. I think it just kind of occurred, and that was during the 80s. Women were still actually pretty active in computer science in the 80s. It wasn't until, you know, you start getting into the 90s. Um, and then the early 2000s, we really start seeing this being a big issue. But yeah, I think over time that progressed. But those are the, the things that I saw is avoiding the, you know, the, the math. Math is associated with being a geek. You got the geek stereotype going. And then you also have the compounding issue of, I don't know much about this, but all of these other, of all of these other men in this course seem to know something about it. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to keep up, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, that makes total sense. So one of the questions I had for you, Skylas, was, you know, how did you get into science? Because computer science, you know, that's computer focused. And there are so many other science fields out there. And it seems like you really enjoy, I'd say all of them, you know. So was it, you know, one particular person that got you interested? Was there one moment or was, you know, was it a, a bunch of things, you know? Uh, time and time again, you keep coming back and say, oh, wow, I like this. Hey, this this feels really cool, like geology, astronomy. These fields are very interesting. You know, what really got you into science? So for for computer science specifically is is that obviously, you know, I, I do enjoy computers. I always have. I've always wanted to learn more about them. You know, it was an unfortunate thing with the layoff, but in a way it was a very fortunate thing because I pursued going into computer science. But I also loved astronomy um, from a very young age, always had an interest in it. Any kind of science, geology, like you said, things like this were always something that I excelled in, had curiosity with. 
computer science won for me due to its flexibility. Uh, you, you have an opportunity to go into a field that's rapidly growing. There's so many different areas with computer science that you can apply that degree. And even with astronomy, I mean, people in astronomy know how to code. This is very, very common. You know, our good friend, Dr. Pamela Gay, she's, she codes. This is something that is so dynamic. Whereas if I chose a different area, like say um, astronomy, I was in my, you know, later 20s at this point, And I knew that since I hadn't gotten in before that time, uh, you know, I could, I could pursue something like that. But, you know, the, the chances of, of having a very great and, and rewarding career um, and stable, too, in astronomy didn't seem like a very good option. And, and computer science can go and feed into astronomy. And so that's, that's one of those things that was just a catch-all. It was a great, it's, it's a great field overall. I think everybody should, should know how to code. Um, but it, it's just you can put yourself pretty much anywhere with coding, you know, learning about technology. And so you say you were you were into uh, astronomy from a young age. You know, I don't think that's that's something that uh, any of the three of us can really appreciate. Like none of us really like astronomy. No, you know, I don't even know why I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I totally get it. It becomes an addiction, and it's one of those things that uh, I mean, that's how our uh, that's how we met. Right, was through virtual star parties. And um, you know, I, I've got to say, so you mentioned Dr. Pamela Gay. And I think that right now, two of the best things I'm seeing, um, you guys are absolutely two of my heroes because of what you're doing and for for that reason. I mean, you've got two massively influential people. I mean, I think it's right to say you have over like 2 million page views. Mm -hmm. Is that yes. right? Yeah. I mean, that is substantial. Think about that. And I mean, people would kill to have a podium to speak on with something like that. And Pamela is the same way. She's massively influential. And both of you are choosing, okay, now that I have this podium, I have this platform, what am I going to talk about? And you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to teach people about the universe. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have people listen to me talk about science and I'm going to show them the universe. I think that's so powerful. And such an important message. And watching the people participate in the virtual star parties, doing them on your Twitch stream, I mean, everybody was so into it. You know, there might have been, what, 8,000 people on there at one time on the chat ready to just watch the next picture roll in of a galaxy or nebula or, or whatever it is that uh, the scope was slewing to. And I just thought, this is the new way of doing things. You don't have to reach one person at a time. You can take a very important message and just unload it on everybody because people were so engaged and so interested in what you had to say. And what you had to say was a message that people need to hear. And I, I think that's extremely powerful. Yeah. And, and, and on, on a platform like Twitch, it's it's totally new. It's, it's, it's something that's not really, you know, it's a gaming platform. So this is a gaming platform. And it's so cool to see people come into my chat and say, I never knew astronomy was on here. I never knew people were talking about this on here. Now we have the science and tech channel. You know, Twitch listened to me knocking at their door saying, there's people that like this and it's important. And that what you were referring to there was the front page being on the front page of Twitch talking about astronomy. And that's such a Everybody nowadays, I think people are learning more about Twitch and they learn about it through mm -hmm. um, people like Ninja, who plays Fortnite, um, who's been getting a lot of publicity for the site. And it is great, um, even though I'm not I'm do I don't play games much. I do it every now and again to, to kind of relax from teaching astronomy. And, and yeah, it being being on the front page and talking about astronomy is is. I mean, it's something I never thought. And, and like you said, it is it is the way I think it's this is going to start becoming more popular over time. And this is so, uh, the potential to reach so many people and the virtual star parties. And thank you guys. A uh, huge shout out to you guys at OPT for for having that be a thing for our stream like that. The compliments the people keep coming in just randomly saying, when are we going to do that again? And I love seeing it. I it, it's it's an honest um, it's it's so honest. Like everything that they want to see with with astronomy, everything that they want, people feel like they can communicate that with me, 
And it's so great to see such, I don't know, such unbridled curiosity, I guess, is the way that's, I guess that's what I mean better, more, that's better wording than honest, but it is honest. They're, they're very uh, curious. And that's what I, I think we need more of. And especially with places like Twitch. Twitch is great for it. I agree. And yeah, you had the you had the homepage, so you have everybody's attention. They I'd say the majority of them probably came on to see video games and you know things of that sort. And instead, they log into their favorite website for video games and you're like, "Nope, space." Right. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, this is what we're talking about today. And I just thought that was so amazing. You know, and uh Fraser Kane and I are pretty close from uh, University Today. I know you two are as well. Uh he's such a great guy. And, um, you know, actually a big part of, of what got me into this was the podcast that he and, uh, Pamela do together. And, um, so, you know, when I first got the chance to talk to both of them, I had to tell them, I was like, you know, like you guys have no idea how many hours I have spent driving, listening to you talk. Like, I already feel like I know you, I've heard you guys a million times. And so, um, it was, it was really cool, but he called me and he was like, Hey, we've got this idea for virtual star parties, and we want to do them on Twitch. And so, I mean, I talked to Ian here about it, and Ian's like, man, we got to do that. Like, People would would be able to, you know, it's access to the universe in a way that, you know, the world has never known. There's no cost. There's nothing that people, you don't have to know anything. Like the barrier for entry is non-existent. You just, if you have even the slightest interest, you log in from wherever you are, from whatever device you have, and there it is. I mean, the universe at your fingertips, point the telescope at whatever you want to see. And there it is coming in live. And after, you know, the the proof of concept with the first one we did, Ian and I sat down, and we're just like, it, it doesn't matter how many we have to, we'll build them all over the world. And that's when we said it, we're like, we're building one in every time zone in the Northern hemisphere and one in every time zone in the Southern hemisphere. And that's been a project that's been, uh, I mean, we're, we're after it. We're, <laughs> we're building these things all the time. And the whole goal is exactly that. We've got to share this stuff. It's such an important message. And especially seeing that, you know, you have a way and an interest to push this out to people that otherwise would be spending their time thinking, okay, here's Fortnite or whatever video game it is at the time. It's like, no, we're, we're going to learn something today. We're going to talk about the universe and it's, it matters. And I, I just think it's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. And I'm glad that you know, I, I do hope that it continues to go this way and, um, you know, getting, getting people, uh, and I know that, and Tony, you, you had some issues with this as well. It's, it's really tough to, to bring science onto a gaming platform. Can you talk about yours, your experience with that? On a gaming platform? Well, yeah, well, it's just that I, I was um, struggling with the, the kind of content that I was producing, which were, you know, three to five minute astronomy videos, space fan news, uh, hangouts, you know, panel discussions. Uh, I couldn't. I, when then when I looked at what uh, streamers like yourself were doing and the gaming streamers, they were spending two, three, uh, four, five hours a day uh, providing content. And given all the other content that I was creating already on YouTube, I just didn't have I, – I, I didn't – first of all, I couldn't make the time commitment of three hours a day. Uh, but I also saw that what everybody else was doing was pretty good, <laughs> and I didn't have anything really to add. Uh, and so what I'm still looking for something that is uniquely me and mine that I can add to the astronomy discussion on Twitch. And when I find it, I'll do it. But it's, it, it, is, um, it, it was ill-defined on Twitch, and I think you'll agree with me. It was ill-defined at first. Uh, Twitch, I think, wanted to get out of the astronomy uh, I'm sorry, the gaming uh, stereotype and maybe branch out into other things. That's why they started streaming Cosmos. They had a big thing with Andreen um, uh, on on Twitch when they first got the rights to it. So I don't know. I think now that they've committed, I think I'm, I'm still searching, uh, but it is a challenge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you were talking about your anxieties, your math anxieties, your comfortableness with being one of the few, if, if not the only uh, girl in the room, female in the room, uh, and the, you could see the confidence in all the males around you, but you did not yourself feel it. When you were saying that, I remember my time at the University of Colorado as a physics student feeling much of that same anxiety. Um, I, I always have had math uh, anxiety. I've always wondered if I was smart enough to get this degree. And it was always this, this thing in the back of my mind that, um, 
maybe I couldn't do this, right? Maybe this is not something I could do. But I think for you, it's, it's, it, 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 it's a little more than that, isn't it? Not only do you have the normal anxieties that most people approaching something hard would have, but there's also this sort of, would you say there's a stereotype bias as well to the fact that you're a girl trying to do all of this? Absolutely. And that's, that made it worse. And there's actually been studies. I referenced it in, in one of the papers that I wrote about it. There are studies about the power of suggestion and how it affects. They've, they had a, a group of um, people that were, so females and males that were both proficient in, in math. Uh, I think the sample actually had people that had taken calculus. They had people, they told one group of females and males that women did worse on the test than males, typically. And then they had another group where they didn't say anything. And what happened to the group where they, they actually verbally made mention of women not doing as good on these math tests and then have them take the test, the women did very, very poor and the men did better. And compared to the other group where they weren't even told anything, the women actually did just on par with what the men did. And so you actually see that men's confidence went up <laughs> hearing that. And so I think that's such an interesting study that they did there because it shows, you know, just the power of suggestion to say, well, women usually do worse at this than men. So the men did better. They overperformed and the women significantly underperformed. And so the, the stereotype there, I mean, that's, that's what I was running into thinking like, the, is anybody going to take me seriously? Because I'm a, I'm a female. I'm not supposed to be good at math. I'm supposed to be good at, you know, maternal things or, you know, everything other than computational processes. I, I don't know how I would fit in here. So it was, I, I, I felt that a lot, but to me, it was even more of a reason to say, no, I can do this, <laughs> you know? So that's where my, my, I, that was a challenge. <laughs> and that says a lot about your character as well, because you looked at that as saying, okay, well, I'm going to rise to this, but I wonder, do you think that, um, uh, that that would be an issue for other girls that they might look at that and, and use it as a, a, a detriment or a barrier that they might not be able to get over? Oh, absolutely. And especially with not having many role models, you know, if, if, if I would have had more role models that, seeing, you know, women in my life that, uh, and I have a great mom, but it's, you know, seeing and having someone around that can say like, yeah, you can get this done. You can do this. Oh, it's algebra. You got this. And, you know, really showing that support there. I think that's ultimately, that was the, the whole conclusion I came to is that here in the U S I think what women need is role models. We need support to be able to look around and say, well, they're, they're doing it. So I can do it too. And at the time that I went in this, I wasn't seeing that, you know, as long as, as I think if that, if you can kind of get that stability there, that would really help a lot. And it, and it's tough to find, it's a tough balance. And, and you guys both know this, um, all of you guys, actually you, Ian and, uh, Dustin, it's, it's tough to find a balance where you're not overstepping something. You're not trying to go around and say, hey, there's a big, big issue here. There's underrepresentation. We need to address it. It's, it's something that's there and it should be acknowledged. It shouldn't be not talked about. But I think, again, in our culture, we just need to have more of this, this support for female role models. And, and there's, there's coding groups. Um, I'm also in the Boulder area. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot of women coding groups, uh, and I used to go and talk with them. There's, there's so many opportunities, but you do have to dig for them. It's, it's tough. I wish there was, it would be great to have women and men getting together too. And, and in a more casual environment, that's kind of why with Twitch, my stream is very like NASA actually refers to me as the crude Carl Sagan. So, <laughs> and, and, and it's because I want people to feel comfortable because I never felt comfortable um, being a uh, quote unquote nerd or geek. And now today it seems like our culture, I don't know if you guys recognize this too, but it's almost like a trending word. Have, have you guys noticed that? Oh yes. Yes. Most definitely. Especially on YouTube. <laughs> right. And so it seems to be embraced. And I think overall, 
I'm, I'm totally fine with that actually being something that people want to embrace. I, I, I think it's, it's good. I think younger generations, you know, I, I do have a daughter as well and um, she loves space and, and talking to her about it, but I'm really going to be looking forward to those times where, you know, it's, she's got math homework and she's wanting to do that math homework. And, you know, I say, Hey, I can sit down and do that with you. And, and she's already learning how to count and, I think it's really important to establish, and I, I almost overdo it sometimes, you know, just telling her how smart she is, how capable she is. And those are things that I think just within your own home, if you have the ability to do something like that, you know, especially with females, if she chooses to not go into a scientific field, that's perfectly fine. However, I want her to feel like she can do anything. And I think that is the source of empowerment that it would have taken me a lot further and at a younger age. And, you know, that's, I think, just making sure people are comfortable with things, making things fun. You know, female role models are great. I think that's very, very important. It's funny that, Dustin, you said that about uh, Dr. Pamela and, and Fraser. Both of them I also looked up to, too. I used to listen to them for a long time. So, like, being involved in their lives now, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, but what I take away from it a lot is, you know, this adds only more for my ability to, to you know, influence my daughter in ways that are positive and reinforcing that she can do anything. I think that's important. Well, in talking about your daughter um, and also about your comment on uh, role models, uh, do you think that she has more available to her now than you did when you were her age? Yes and no. Do you think that the number of, of female role models in science is, is increasing? I, I, I think it is. I think I think there is a difference than from when I was younger. I you know recalling it in my head. I yeah, I think there's definitely a more there's more of a representation than when I was younger. Also completely different advances in technology too, right? So I mean, now people have little pocket computers and she knows how to to work that and you know if it's not working she knows how to troubleshoot it. But you know what I make sure to do is just tell her like, "Hey, you're problem solving. That's a big step to doing a lot of things." There's there wasn't so much of that when I was younger. Like, sure, you could troubleshoot the internet when your modem was making the er er sounds, you know. But I mean, <laughs> what was that sound? <laughs> er, er. <laughs> you knew it. You were just done. You threw up your hands. You're yeah. like, wait. Yeah. Um, you know? right. But but right. now they have. You know, technology has has become better. There's there's great little coding things. I think one of them is called Scratch, where they they can put together all kinds of different lines of code and functions and such. Uh, and, it, and it's fun. The, with technology, I think this is actually going to be something that will also help just naturally because that divide isn't there as much. Whereas growing up in the, you know, being a child of the 80s and then uh, living through the 90s before internet and then when internet came out, you know, it seemed like there wasn't much, you know, moving room and being a girl that wanted to stay home and sit on her dad's IBM computer compared to the girls that wanted to call their friends. And I would get mad at my sister for picking up the phone and killing my internet connection. So, you know, this is, it's very different now. We have different technology. And I think that in and of itself brings in just naturally more representation. I think we'll see a lot of it more in the future. I'm really optimistic about that. So yeah, I do think it's different. I think it is getting better I know numbers have gotten better too from the research that I had done even just four years ago. I think I think there is a change. I think it's a wave, but I think we'll actually see it not so much in with my generation, but it's going to be the younger generations that I think will really start to see this pick up. I, I'm hopeful, at least. The reason I asked that uh, about the increase in um, impossible role models and whether things were getting better was. Um, I've, uh, I did, before I started the podcast, I went on the, um, uh, American Association of University Women's website where they cited some statistics that across all jobs there, uh, there's basically, uh, uh, 52% of them are men, 48% of them women. So it's more or less 50, 50, 50, but in STEM fields, uh, there tends to be a 76% representation for men and only 24% in women. And I, but anecdotally, 
over 30 years of working in the field of astronomy, I have noticed uh, working in places like the University of Illinois, as well as NCAR and Boulder and um, the uh, Space Telescope Science Institute, that there does seem there are increasing ranks in women scientists, especially early career science uh, scientists. You see a lot of younger astronomers now uh, who are female getting into fields. And, and what I've noticed, and again, this is just anecdotal, uh, in the fields of exobiology, I'm sorry, uh, astrobiology and exoplanet research, because those are also two very young um, uh, fields in the field of astronomy. You know, 20 years ago, exoplanet research didn't exist. So it's it's encouraging, I think, at least looking from, from the outside in, that it, it appears as if more women are getting into the STEM fields, especially into these astronomy fields. And I think, um, Ian, if I understand, you also have experience at OPT uh, with some of your observations of that as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. And actually... Um... So when I was studying uh, physics and astronomy, uh, it was a small school up in Humboldt State. Uh, I think my graduating class for uh, physics was 10, and I was one of those 10. But five of those 10 were women. And the person who won Outstanding Student of the Year out of the 1,000-plus people who graduated that year was uh, a girl in the physics department. She won Outstanding Student of the Year. So to me, that was amazing. That I mean, seeing these women who I would I have no problem saying are way more intelligent than I am, seeing them succeed and then move on to graduate school and seeing what they're doing now, it's it's inspiring. And it, same thing with you, Skylar. Seeing what you're doing, it's very inspiring. I mean, I definitely will say that people look up to you and people see what you're doing on this platform, Twitch and YouTube and just social media in general, people see that and they think, wow, if they can do it, I can do it. Or they see it and they say, oh, wow, they're, they're interested in this stuff. Then there's no, there shouldn't be an issue that I'm interested in space and science and things like that. So I, I think it's fantastic what's going on. And I definitely am seeing that shift from, you know, say a male dominated field, which would be STEM to more and more women getting into it. Um, but to go back to your question, Tony, uh, yeah, I, I, I go to tons of star parties, do lots of outreach and interact with tons of people all the time. And um, I will say that more and more, I am seeing a lot of younger women who are super interested in this stuff. They love not just looking at the moon, say, or looking at the planets, but wanting to talk about it, wanting to have these discussions about quantum mechanics discussions about black holes, discussions about life on other planets. And then when they get interested in that stuff, they tell their friends, you know, and it's just this, this, this butterfly effect, you know, it just starts rippling out. And then they tell their friends and it just continually branches out until just more and more people get excited about this stuff. And it goes back to what Skylace was saying, that the term, I guess, nerd, right, or geek or whatever you want to say is now kind of a, a cool term. I, I have no problem with that. I'm I'm totally fine with that being cool and hip and in. Uh, but I, I I definitely do see a, a a change starting to happen, and it makes me really happy um, to see that there's more women getting involved, especially younger women uh, into astronomy and astrophotography. Well, you know what's uh, what's really interesting with with you bringing that up, Ian. I think is that uh, you know. Skylish, you just mentioned how when you were going through your program, you're facing the challenges that um, that I feel like everybody really does, you know, male or female. When you're going into something like differential equations, I, I just wanted to die <laughs> every time I looked at it. I was like, I cannot do this. There's no way. And a lot of my classes felt that way, you know. So um, I do think it matters. Like you were saying, if there had been role models to just to look up to and say, hey, you know what? They did it. They're saying you know, I can do it or or whatever. I feel like that, that's very important. That's very powerful. Um, but with what you're doing now, you're shifting that balance, whether intentionally or not, because you are becoming that for people in a very real way. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's a pretty incredible, you know, pretty incredible thing to, to be accomplishing, especially if that's, that's not even really the intent, right? The intent is just to share a passion. Yeah. And, you're kind of having this effect, maybe without even trying to, of supplying something that, you know, would have been helpful to you and definitely will help 
be at least a portion of a cure to a very real problem. Yeah, and 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 it, I think you're absolutely right. Like, it's not my intention to encourage more people in general into uh, certain fields. My, I would say that I do want people to ask questions and be curious. I think in our nature, that's what we need to be doing, and it's it's kind of ingrained in who we are and fundamental. And so, it's I I, I want people to be using that gray matter in their head. And I want them to, to feel like they have a community to comfortably talk about, uh, cause you know, you guys were talking about how other people start getting more comfortable, um, or how women are, Ian said, you notice that women are getting more comfortable talking about certain things, like more than just talking about the moon, but maybe talking about the stars that they're looking at. And it's, it's interesting. We just were talking about this on my channel the other night, last night, actually about, you know, it's it's still not something where I can show up to, a, you know, a get together, go to a you know a bar or something, and you know have people be interested in some of the things that I am. So one of the things that I have, you guys have probably all seen it, but I have the electromagnetic spectrum tattooed on my my arm, and yeah. you know, I've, it's 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 asked people ask questions about you know what is that, and then I say oh, it's the electromagnetic spectrum, it's light, and I always hope that kind of sometimes that does work and people get interested to talk about it. And that's kind of, that was, that was the intention of that tattoo is to get people to ask questions and, you know, and be like, yeah, that's light, you know, and look at how much we can only see. I know that sounds really stupid to get a tattoo for those purposes, but people ask questions. And I feel like, you know, once I start going into talking about things like that with people out in my day-to-day -day life, it's, it's hard to find people that will, enjoy uh talking about the distance of objects that you're seeing in the night sky and and being like wow okay well i'm really comfortable with the amount of information i'm i'm getting from all of this you know and i'm hoping that that becomes more contagious though because that's what i always tell people is it's mind melting stuff but it's super cool uh but it's not something i would say you know you might be that boring person quote unquote still if you go to a party um with just some random people and <laughs> start telling them you know that um, one of the stars that might go supernova or might have already 643 light years away. So we, we might've already done it, but we don't know yet. You know, that, that might not be something, but I, 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 but there are people that do want to talk about that. And in a room of just random strangers, there are a few. And when you start getting those people engaged and involved and in a place where they feel like they can and and for <laughs> for the just going with the theme of nerd and geek where they can nerd out I, I i would wouldn't mind that being you know that term being fleshed out i would say for people just being curious and being interested in things that that are so much bigger than us but at the same time that are us you know yeah i i think you hit the nail on the head you know you, I, I i still don't think we're at a point where you can go to the bar and walk up to somebody and say, Hey, what do you think about, you know, uh, spooky action at a distance or, uh, standard candles in astronomy? You know, it's not really something you can talk about to anyone at least yet. But I think, you know, what you're doing on Twitch is you're giving this, uh, you're giving people an outlet, right? You're, you're letting them ask these questions that maybe they've had bottled up and they don't know who they can talk to because it's not something you can just walk up to somebody and start, start having a conversation about, you know, a Hertzsprung-Russell diagram or different star types and things like that. So you, it's it's awesome seeing that you're giving people this opportunity to ask the questions that maybe they've always had and they just never felt like they had an opportunity to bring up. Yeah. So let's let's define this problem as a whole because I can tell you what we see, but um, again, I mean, we really do live in a bubble here and and all we talk about is telescopes and astronomy all day, every day. It's It's the best life in the world. It really is. It really is. I can't say that without smiling. Um, but, you know, before we before we jumped on here, I uh, I started looking and I, I went to just a bunch of different websites looking for information, trying to get the statistics. So, you know, what wh how how big is the problem? And so the numbers vary pretty, um, pretty wildly. But if I kind of average out what what the different websites are saying, it looks like currently what we're finding is that about six percent of uh, physicists, of professional physicists are women, and about 7% of professional astronomers are women. I have no idea if that's accurate, but that's what, you know, a lot of the different EDU and uh, government sites are, are telling me. Um, if that's the case, 
I mean, with seven out of a hundred, that's, um, that's a problem that, that needs a, a bit of attention, I'd say on, in the professional space, you know, on the, on the hobby side, it was something that, that, you know, for a long time, I being, uh, being honest about it, OPT was not incredibly focused on. It's something we've done uh, a lot over the last year and a half. Uh, Ian here has been, been integral in that we actually have. Uh, so if you walk around anybody's desk in this building, we have these little cards and everybody has to have them at their desk at any time. And there is um, there's a picture of a woman scientist on these cards and they have to be displayed at all times. And then there's information about what that woman did. And it, it's not because we're trying to teach about every woman scientist in the world. It's because. You know, we are we are as a culture missing. I mean, and not even just the United States. I'd say globally, we're missing half the brain power that we could be attacking some of these problems, the ones that you know all of us should be passionate about. And you know, on, even on our side, just as a business, you know, we are selling. It, if the phone rings, most of the time, the people picking it up are thinking, "All right, there's a man on the other side of this line," and uh, and that's a real problem. So we're just trying to keep people focused on the problem as a whole in the hobby, but it looks to me like the problem may be even greater on the professional side. I mean, what, what are you, what are your thoughts there? I think that we'll see, cause, cause going into the professional side, it, there's where the problem would be is in these, even before that, before someone could even go into the profession. So I, I tend to, when I start thinking about the professional side, I'm not necessarily shocked by those numbers. It's, it's, it's sad it's something that I wish we could definitely not have that be our representation in the work industry. But I know that that goes back further because who, you know, and again, not to, to, to blast my mom. She's a wonderful mom. She never sat down and said, Hey, I noticed you like the computer. Have you, you know, there's, there's stuff you can do with that. And she were actually worked in the tech industry. But as an account manager, it, it's more about, I think, honestly, is I think the onus, the burden is really on the the younger kids. And and, you know, now they have a lot of schools claim to have these wonderful STEM extracurricular activities or STEAM even. I, I mean, I live in a pretty good area where there's pretty good schools. There's a lot of science around here. And even now, I'm still disappointed. Why, why is that? I just, you know, I, I, I look at some of the stuff that she'll come back with and some of her homework and a lot of it is going in one direction and, you know, not, not necessarily, uh, promoting interest in other things scientifically. The science is actually something that they'll keep like in rotation with almost like gym activities. And I think, you know, that's, that's a lot of it. A lot of it is, and also, you know, we have education issues with people going into college, college, the cost of college. I mean, there's, there's so many things even outside of just women that make it super challenging. I think overall it's, it's a lot of our education and then also having people, you know, to talk to my high school advisor would have never talked to me about a science field. It's, it's, when you have children or you're rearing children, even if they're not your own, it, it is ultimately the person that's rearing the child to, to give them these tools because we can't trust the schools to do it. You know, we can't trust other people to know how to do, they won't do it the way we want them to, or at least the way I do personally, <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's something that I think just having an open discussion about it with with your children or, again, if, if they're not your children, but you have children in your life, even niece, nephews, uh, grandchildren, engaging them about things that are interesting scientifically or I think art's also great, too. I don't want to slam art because art and science, there's a lot that, that can be married there and is ab- absolutely beautiful and wonderful. But, you know, there's no one ever really sat down and talked with me. And I have other friends that don't even know that computer science is a thing. No joke. So, right. you know, I think that's that's where we it starts in our homes and then we can start looking at the then I think the workplace would start to make more sense. Now, I know that there's obviously other factors there as well. They talk about like wage gaps and things like that. 
But I know that I think in time, hopefully that starts changing. I think, again, we're going to have to wait for those numbers. I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, there's this is a this is a big uh, area here. And to define the problem fully, like like Dustin was talking about, you have to realize that there is more to it than just a gender issue. There's also a a an academic cultural issue where for hundreds of years that astronomy has been a good old boys club and um, I'm speaking only on the side of astronomy right now and so it has taken a long time to break that that cultural thinking within a, a university or an observatory or an uh, uh, astronomy department somewhere where if you are a you know a woman trying to make it in the field of astronomy, uh, there's a barrier just because of the nature of academia. Now, postdocs, whether you're male or female, have to go through very similar hurdles. But it is, it has been in the past, and hopefully it's getting better now, culturally, an issue in the uh, academic realm. So that, that, that's part of the issue that has to be overcome. It's just scientists can be real jerks, especially astronomers. And so, and, and so you, they are used to doing things a certain way, and it's sometimes it just takes a long time to uh, to get people to see that, wait a minute, other people have things to offer and we need to look at their contributions as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So so we've we've kind of defined at least a portion of the problem. And uh, Skylius, before we we jumped on here, you said something that I thought there was a ton of wisdom in because it's not uh, it's not the way I've thought about it. It's, it's not the way that I see most people approach the problem. Um, if we look at this problem and we say, this is a serious problem, this is something we really should give attention to and try to affect change in, then um, most people, in, including myself, would think, let's just attack it. Let's attack it. Let's bring as much attention to it as we possibly can. Let's make as much noise as we possibly can. And you were saying before this that that might not necessarily be the best choice. Maybe there's a different way to do this, or maybe it should be a combination of things. Yeah, no, I think, so I, I have the opinion, and again, it's just an opinion that um, if we draw too much attention to something like the underrepresentation of women in STEM, too much attention can can definitely be have an adverse effect, especially with what I'm seeing with the younger demographic they could say, well, why aren't, you know, why, why is this getting all the attention and almost poke fun at it, not take it as seriously due to the attention being just spotlight, you know, blast it. And they won't take it as serious. I think it's more in the subtleties. It's more in, you know, more computer classes. And and I'm just referring to that just, you know, just as an example or, or even astronomy. I mean, things like that where you have these computer classes that are super basic and you can do whatever you want with the computer. I'm, I'm trying to think of some subtle ways that you could work this in. But, you know, like there's there's computer classes are now, I think, starting to become even more robust. Um, and some are actually I read in an article recently that they're they're actually putting them in more schools, just like blanket curriculum. But, you know, like doing stuff like that and and not necessarily saying, well, we're going to make an all women's computer club. I don't think that's going to younger, younger women are going to see that younger females are going to see that and they're going to think like, well, why am I being put in my own? That's just it. Like, am I different? And if you do that, then that's but, you know, maybe you have, you know, some of the things that I've seen that have been absolutely wonderful. I don't know if you guys ever heard of first. It's for inspiration, recognition of science and technology. Um, they build robots and stuff. No. Yeah, I, they're amazing. Um, and there's a bunch of these, actually. There's a bunch of these organizations that do this. But kids in high school, and even younger than that, even in elementary school, can build and program these robots. And I started seeing these younger generations that are in grade school and in high school working together on these teams to build these robots. And it was so amazing. It was one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen in my life, seeing these groups of women that were doing it. Some, some, some wanted their own female teams and some didn't, some wanted to work with uh, the boys. And that was super cool. Like, and, and seeing something like that where you can, you can do what you want with it. It's up to you really, but Hey, there is this thing, you know, you can get scholarships and building robots. I mean, that's great for, for all of STEM. We need, 
I mean, we, we do that with, we need it with astronomy. I mean, some of the things that we send out into space, you know, I mean, this, and, and seeing those kind of programs in place, I think those are the ones that are doing it right. And I wish they were more popular, but I feel like you kind of have to know what to look for. And again, this is what I was saying is that the onus is going to be on parents or people that are rearing the child, the caretakers, to be able to look for these kind of things and scout out what's going on and really be clued into what's out there other than just what the school is teaching, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think uh, another, I, I, I guess it could be subtle, but maybe a way to to get more uh, women into into the sciences is, you know, women who are in, on the professional level and who are doing these amazing, amazing things, making these amazing discoveries, you know, become that role model, be the role model that influences the next generation of of scientists, you know, not just women, but all people, you know, get everyone involved. Because if you if you use that and get everyone excited and it's just super into whatever you're doing, you're going to get both men and women super excited about whatever it is you're talking about. And I think that's a great way to do it is the people who are in these positions already, like like yourself, Skylas, you know, just get people excited. Do what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep getting people involved and just keep getting people super stoked about what's going on and what you're doing. Absolutely. And I think the the wisdom in in what you were just saying is that if you do make too much noise, now women going in don't have an option but to be part of the political discussion as well. It's not enough then to just say, you know what, I have an interest in astronomy. You know, the, the way that maybe a boy would be going into a program, it's not enough. You can't just have that interest and carry it through with nothing else. If if there's too much noise made about it, now it's got to be, oh, I have an interest and I have to be a role model and I have to fight this battle for women. And, you know, it's just going to it's going to rob them of the enjoyment that brought them there in the first place. If there's too much. made, mm-hmm. I completely agree. Absolutely. But on the on the point of feeling a little bit separated or put into a special learning environment, I actually heard some uh, research that said that when if you if you look at the dynamics of boys and girls in a uh, elementary school or a high school lab situation, what ends up happening often is that the boys will end up taking a more active role of taking the data, working the knobs, pushing the, you know, making, you know, making the apparatus work while the, the girl would generally sit and do a passive role, like take the data or be a helper in some kind. Do you feel that there's a place, but if, but, but if you then separated that out and had the girls in their own labs and the boys in their own labs, do you feel the girls would feel less um, inhibited uh, and more able to uh, maybe take on the roles they're naturally inclined to take? Or do you just think that's just making them feel weird and special? I think if there was a, a forced kind of divide there, a forced segregation where boys on this side, females on this side, um, it, you're going to get people saying, well, you know, uh, it's, it, it, it's trying to fit idea of, you know, cause you're absolutely right. I've heard this too, even with those robotic teams that some of the women or young ladies that were, were in those robotic teams originally had been on, uh, all, you know, a, a co-ed team. And then they transitioned to, uh, all female team because they didn't want to be the person stuck taking notes. Right. And, I think the ability for them to make that choice is key. You know, if someone else suggests that, like, if we start dividing classes that way, say in, in academia, that that's going to, that's going to raise, cause there might be, and you know, for instance, someone like me, even though I was really uncomfortable in the end, like I still will want to be a person that, that I, I'm a little, you know, I like headstrong. So I, I would have been that person. I'd be like, you want me to take the information here and take notes? You're kidding yourself. There's no way, (laughs) you know? Um, and there are, there are young females that will, will adhere to that as well. And and that will be their attitude. Um, and so giving them that chance again, it's, it's, if there's something where they could make it an open option, um, and again, you know, of course, that's the funding of how, how that would work, right? An even larger issue, which is the state of science education, period, which is a topic of a whole podcast. But yeah, that's also related to just having a science class at all, really. 
So I know that uh, I know we're pushing time here, but I have one more thing I'd like to talk about. Um, you know, I have a I have a really close friend. Her name is uh, Courtney Monjo. She's an astrophotographer. You can see her work on EveryClearNight.com. Absolutely incredible work. And so I've asked her probably a dozen times for different reasons why she thinks there aren't more women in the hobby of astrophotography. And um, her opinion is that certain hobbies don't lend themselves well to women in general. Sometimes it's, it's not even safe. You know, she's thinking like, okay, so you've got this hobby where I'm going to take equipment out to the middle of nowhere by myself and set up in the desert and stay out there all night long running exposures of the night sky. And, um, I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts there? It's, uh, because some of these hobbies really are, it's sometimes it's a solo thing. You know, a lot of times we go out in groups, but not all the time. Sometimes you're just out there by yourself. I mean, what are your thoughts there? I definitely agree with that too. Um, and even with going to certain conventions to talk about things, going alone, I've had a lot of people express concern on going alone to conventions, um, as a female and I'm, I'm relatively tiny, I'm pretty tall, but you know, I'm small. And so, you know, that's, that, that is another thing. That is absolutely another thing. It's, it's, that's a tough one. And I don't know. And there's also other factors, which, you know, we definitely won't go into that are, that are very challenging and not safe. Uh, the risk there is real, you know, how to remedy something like that. You know, I think that's, that's something that I have no idea. Cause yeah, I can, I can imagine just going out somewhere and, <laughs> being all by myself and taking photos, um, of the night sky that, that would be, you know, again, depending on location, it could be quite scary. Um, even in Hawaii or something, you know, there's, that's, that's a thing, you know, I, 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 I don't know that, that, that's a, that's a risk that I haven't really thought about. I've thought about it in different areas. Um, but as far as like, you know, going out and being alone, I know with the convention kind, kind of stuff, attending a lot of cons by myself, I'm, I usually don't because of that reason, uh, going by myself is, you know, I need to kind of be escorted. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I mean, it really is at minimum, yeah. it's a consideration that, that has to be addressed, right? It's not, uh, it's not something you can take lightly. I mean, it, we're talking about safety and I think it's something that, you know, a lot of us guys, I, I never think about that. I never think about that when I'm going out to image, it's not something that crosses my mind at all. Um, but I think it's, it's definitely something that, I mean, when you're talking about going to conventions or, you know, especially astronomy, I think lends itself to being even a little more dangerous because you are where no one's going to see you. Um, no one knows, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you go to the most remote places intentionally and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a dangerous concept. It's, it's something that I know that there are several women that do, they do regularly. And, um, I haven't known anybody that's had specific problems, but I could see that being something that's, that's a challenge. Yeah, no. And I, and the thing that I relate to that too, is again, the going to conventions. Um, I think once you can build up more of, for instance, Dr. Pamela and I, you know, if, if there was a convention she was going to, I know I'd feel a lot better and we'd probably end up just sharing a room, but you know, that's, that's just it is I wouldn't feel comfortable going to some of the, I know ThinkCon right now is going on. If I didn't have anybody to meet up there with and, you know, someone like Dr. Pamela, for instance, um, I would feel very, very much more comfortable attending a, something like that where I know somebody and they're probably just as nervous, but she's, she's built a great community too. So she knows a lot of people, but for me, as I'm working my way into this and this being what I want to do with my life, you know, I'm still in my infancy. So it is, it, it limits my ability to actually go and network to a certain degree. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, Pamela is such a boss at these things though. <laughs> I mean, she's all over the world. I feel like every day, you know, um, but um, yeah, and actually all, all three of us, all four of Fraser will be there too. We'll be uh, at a convention in Joshua Tree together, right? Or at a meetup in Joshua Tree together pretty soon. So that'll be exciting. But um, yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> it's a big problem that I don't think is going to have a quick fix. Yeah, I agree. I, I just hope that in time, and, and I'm, I am optimistic about this. I, I got to admit, there's a lot of things I'm not, but this, I think... I, I actually am. I think it will, we will see a change in time 
especially just with uh, the younger generation. So we might have to be patient. It might require us to be a little bit more patient, still keep, like you said, keep being enthusiastic about it and, and, and giving people a pathway, uh, female or male, if, you know, share your passion and help them find theirs. All right. Well, that is a great spot to uh, to end this with. So I want to this this has been a great conversation. I want to thank our guest uh, Skylias. She is a, a streamer on Twitch, and she streams and discusses space and astronomy on her channel, and has a just does an amazing job. Uh, so if you don't know about her by any chance, by any, by by some strange reason, then definitely go check out her uh, her streaming on on Twitch. How often do you stream, uh, Skylias? usually stream five days out of the week. So that will wow. usually be Tuesday through Saturday wow. with Mondays, with Sundays and Mondays off. Great. And, and do you do the specific time of day or is it just all day long? Um, so on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, those are mostly reserved for just space topics. Uh, and those are, you know, when I, when I stream astronomy, those are limited to about four to five hours. Uh, my brain starts dying <laughs> after a while. Um, but the other nights, you know, sometimes we'll be playing puzzle games or having just conversations or, and, and now we have Fridays for history. So we learn about history and, which I think is, is very cool too. So, wow. Okay. Well, that's great. So definitely check out our channel folks. And thank you so much for taking time out today to talk with us about women in STEM. You've really helped. I think this conversation is, was really valuable and important. So thank you so much for taking time out to talk with us. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Okay. Well, on behalf of Dustin Gibson and Ian Lauer, both from OPT telescopes, I want to thank you all so much for listening and as always keep looking up. Space Junk was produced by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California, in partnership with Deep Astronomy. Please send feedback and questions to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com.